0: So today is officially PFF Day, but I think I want to do it a little bit differently. Um, I I can't get off of playoff mode. Um, I'm obsessed with recent history and, and the way things are trending and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to go through it, but I want to do position by position. And rather than just look at this game, which I still want to look at, maybe gloss over if, if they had a bad grade because, I, you know, nobody cares. Maybe you're you're super curious about every single person's grade, and I get that. It was a great performance. Obviously, not everybody was perfect in this game. I, there's no point trashing a guy in a perfect game, right? I'm willing this week and this week only to be biased and say, in those situations, PFF is stupid, just, just for the sake of we'll dismiss it. But uh, you can probably assume if I gloss over it, wasn't the greatest week ever. And to be completely honest, there weren't, I think, uh, what was it, two weeks ago or whatever, there were a lot more people that were in the good column. This week, it actually wasn't that many. It was on, I think it was seven on offense and seven on defense, which isn't, you know, we're talking 20-ish on either side of the ball. Seven is good. I mean, for a normal week, I just expected it to be like 50% which it was like a couple weeks ago which was shocking uh the biggest difference was there were some massively elite grades in this you know several players were just unbelievably dominant and I think that really made a big difference on top of seven being a pretty quality number but um again that that's sort of just because I'm looking at one thing in particular I was just playing around here I sometimes I get lost and my alarm goes off like hey you better get the podcast started it's like man but I'm just I'm having fun poking around here and um I don't know, it's just, it's interesting to look at, uh, for example, where our safeties are ranking right now It's just, it just, blo- it just blows my mind, man. Absolutely blows. It gets me so unbelievably excited. The Packers don't have to win a Super Bowl this year, but I might be a little extra sad because this is just an unbelievable team. Everything is just, is just right right now. I was mentioning to a friend of mine yesterday. I said, I just don't want this season to end. I want this to be the team I root for forever. I just love this team this year. I don't want there to be a there ne- <laughs> be a next year, which kind of goes into what I said about it's it can't just all be about Super Bowls. And it's not. If you, if you enjoyed that Titans game, if you got joy out of that, it's not about Super Bowls, man. We didn't win a Super Bowl. That game wasn't even worth very much. And look how excited you are. It's not about Super Bowls. It's about loving the team and and really just finding ways to appreciate it and I I just I'm obsessed with this team. Not every part of it, but man, they're they're checking a lot of boxes. Um, and then especially getting hot at the end of the year the defense coming on strong i mean everything is coming together almost exactly as you want it to of course i can nitpick if you'd like me to i'd be happy to but i'm not doing it today so anyways um before we get started here because once i get going i'm not going to want to stop big giant massive huge shout out to gary miller for jumping in on patreon i really do appreciate that we now have what 164 patrons i think absolutely fantastically amazingly awesome you know it's funny because podcasting and youtube is, is such an entirely different environment youtube right now is completely blowing up which i had a feeling it might especially having a draft channel but some of the guys over at fan to fan network apparently are just having unbelievable i i thought i was alone but they're like dude what is going on i just got 40 subscribers in the last 10 minutes so I'm, I'm i'm not even gaining ground on those guys apparently things are going nuts which i expected but point is I've had in about twelve hours, sixty-five hundred people watch my latest YouTube video. I've never had sixty-five hundred people listen to any one of my podcasts. However, the amount of like hardcore admiration that I get on the podcast, as opposed to the YouTube channel, which granted, it's those videos are much more cold than the podcast. It's just it's just night and day. This is this is like a family. That is, I pump out content. People tell me I suck. I say, no, you suck, and then you know I get a little bit of money out of it. It's it's weird, man. Then I come over here and people are like you're great. Been listening to your show for years. Go check out YouTube. You're an idiot. Jump off a bridge and die, loser. It's like, Wow. <laughs> it's fun. I'm, I'm I'm having fun. But um, I appreciate it. I I love this. If I wasn't so obsessed with uh, YouTube, um, I'm really starting to appreciate that. Just I mean, even what I used to hate about it was the actual video production of it. I wanted to be able to just record my videos and and not have to do anything i'm actually really starting to like that and by the way because i need to jack up my uh, packers content on there it's mostly been draft stuff because i've kind of got into a rhythm i'm working on my first ever highlight video and it's of aj dillon i need you guys to help hold me accountable because the last time i started a video i didn't finish it and i'm mad at myself this needs to happen and it needs to be out while there's still some interest in aj dillon so if you wouldn't mind dropping me a message saying hey where's my freaking aj dillon video you moron that would be great thank you very much Anyways, if you'd like to help support what I'm doing, there's a billion ways to do it. Um, I do still have a bunch of these iron Jock things to give away. I believe we're still we still have a competition going. I don't think that advertiser left me yet. Maybe they did. Let me check. I'm not saying I don't listen to my own ads or anything. So obviously, I support my advertisers. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We got so that bet US thing is running for quite a while. It's through the second week of January. So as of right now, I'm giving away. Uh, three Iron Jock hoodies, only four people have reached out. So only one guy's not getting a hoodie. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's because you're not listening to the ads. Shame on you. Listen to the BetUSA ad, and uh, you got a very good, I mean, better than 50% chance right now of getting an Iron Jock hoodie if you just do what it says. Outside of that, though, i still got a bunch of these to give away. I'm just, there's one hide, there's a bunch, there's a pile hiding behind a curtain, my green screen, and I can still see 13 on top of the three I need to give away. There's probably another 7 behind, so like 20. So um, I've got some ideas, but i got to get these things out of here. And so uh, stay tuned. And just keep in mind, it's probably going to have something to do with Twitter. Just because I've never done anything on Twitter, and I just found out from uh, Mr. Basarowski, which I just found out is not his name during a meeting or whatever, he explained the whole thing. Apparently his name is Basera. He put ski at the end because he thought it was funny because it's like a Polish thing because he's Polish. But anyways, apparently you can run competitions and and have a random selector of uh, people that retweeted your stuff. So, if you're not following me on Twitter, make sure you do that. We're going to be doing a lot of Iron Jock giveaways on there. Pack underscore daddy is that whole deal. Anyways, I, there's more stuff I can say, but I've been rambling long enough. Let's, uh, let's get started. Let's get started. Tapas Swissmas. I don't know why that's been stuck in my That's been stuck in my head for 24 hours. Creed talking about Tapas Swissmas. Has a phrase ever been caught in your head like a song? Because I cannot get that out of my head. I woke up today saying, top is Swissmas. I'm just broken. I'm just, I am just broken. There's no fixing me. Let's start with the offensive side of the ball. First of all, you probably noticed Aaron Rodgers was not on any of the big PFF lists in terms of uh, elite grades or anything like that. He did grade out fine. It wasn't bad. It's just if you're doing like a top five or even maybe top ten, he's not going to be in that. But he was in that, you know group of seven that had a good game now as far as aaron Rodgers' standards go this is his sixth worst game of the year which sounds worse than it is again it was still a good game but aaron Rodgers has legitimately via pff only had one bad game all year and this was not one of them so let's let's use that phrasing um instead the one bad game as you might expect was against tampa bay um indian carolina he didn't grade out spectacularly but even that was those games were average which is kind of nice when you got a guy where average is basically a bad day. In fact, he graded out as good, and I feel like this was maybe a bad day. But considering he didn't have a bad day, it, I'm not going to say that. Um, still, he is the number one quarterback in football via PFF. Uh, he's actually separated himself quite a bit. Some of the other guys have fallen off. As a matter of fact, Mr. where is, I can't even find the guy. Oh, there he is. Being a little overdramatic. But Pat Mahomes is actually uh, graded as the number four quarterback via PFF. Josh Allen, who's getting all the hype about MVP because of the recency bias nonsense, is graded out as the 7th best quarterback in football right now. He is still elite. There are 7 quarterbacks with elite grades. Josh Allen, Ryan Tannehill, Russell Wilson, Pat Mahomes... Tom Brady, Deshaun Watson, and Aaron Rodgers. Yes, Deshaun Watson and Tom Brady are tied for number two. As I said before, Deshaun Watson is a freak. He just has a garbage football team behind him. And yes, also Tom Brady. I know a lot of people are shocked by that because they watch Noodle Arm go out and play and throw bad passes. I don't know. I haven't watched all the games. All I know is Pat Mahomes is four and he can go pound sand. I do want to talk a second about the recency bias thing because it does scare me. And I've I've talked about how I don't care about MVP, and I don't, because I don't care about the process, and I think it's stupid, and I think it's stupid that we hang on, on these people that don't know what they're talking about. Same goes for the Pro Bowl. Same goes for everything. It's a stupid process that doesn't make any sense. However, the only reason I'm really invested in this is because Aaron Rodgers doesn't have much time left in the league. He may never get an MVP again. This may be his last opportunity. I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't mean to be melodramatic about it, but we know how much the NFL fluctuates from year to year. We know his age. We understand all these things. He is the best quarterback in the NFL. Give him the MVP. And I'm not talking about charity. He just is. I am saying if it's, if it's a horse apiece, if it's 50-50, then yeah, it should go to Aaron Rodgers. But I don't think it is. But but again, the thing that scares me is the recency bias. You notice how highly everybody's flying on the Packers right now because of what they did to Tennessee. Not that it's completely unwarranted, but again, everything is that way. And it's kind of annoying. Um, I even let a lot of it slide in on Twitter and stuff because I don't want to bring people down. But there's a whole bunch of, of uh, re- you know guys that have been terrible all year that had one good week and it's like, what's up now? What's up now? It's like everybody has one good game. It's not that big of a deal. But again, I you know, cool. It's fine. I, I might even jump on that train because it's kind of fun to just hype a guy up for having a good day. But when I start, you know, I, I basically the only reason I'm bringing it up is I woke up this morning and every single tweet, every other tweet that I saw was Josh Allen MVP. Why? Because he had a good day. A good day. Now, obviously, you've had a lot of good days if you have an elite overall grade. But just to be clear, um, when I mentioned Aaron Rodgers has had basically one bad game, and two average games, which basically are bad days, Josh Allen is the complete opposite. He's either elite or average. He hasn't had any bad days. Half of his games have been in the 60s. Week 8 against New England was a 67. Week 12 against the Chargers. Week 7 against the Jets. Week 14 against Pittsburgh. Week 6 against Kansas City. Week 1 against the Jets. Week 10 against Arizona. All 60s, from ranging from 60 to 67-7. And again, I'm not saying the guy isn't special. I like Josh Allen. I'm super happy for Bills fans. They got themselves a special quarterback. Their GM has done a good job. I know I've been trashing him a little bit, not not because he's bad, but just because people want to use him as a weapon to club Gutekun, so i got to strike back a little bit. I think Buffalo's in, in a great position, similar to what the Packers are. When you have a quarterback and a coach and a GM, you're basically set. Now, you're only as good as, as your most recent year, and we've seen good coaches become bad coaches and good GMs become bad GMs, but as, as long as they can keep that formula, they're set. And Josh Allen's 24, but the point is, it's recency bias. He had one good week, and so everybody freaks out. That's ridiculous. He should not be in the MVP conversation. He's not there right now. Wildly inconsistent. If you just look at what, I mean, so let's just assume, because the, the grade for this past week hasn't come out yet, Let's just assume it was leap. Then he had two good games in a row, because week 15 um, against Denver, 87.4 overall grade, nine yards per attempt, two touchdowns, no interceptions, 359 yards through the air. That's amazing. But what happened the week before that against Pittsburgh? 238 yards, 5.5 yards per attempt, two touchdowns and a pick. That's garbage. Well, that's Pittsburgh. Okay, how about two weeks before that? Against the Chargers, who are trash? He threw 18 of 24, 157 yards, 6.5 yards average, one touchdown, one interception. That's garbage. The one week before that against Arizona, who's not that good, 284 yards, 5.8 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, two interceptions. That's garbage. How about two weeks before that against New England? 154 yards, 8.6 yards per attempt, zero touchdowns, one interception. That's garbage. He is not the MVP. I'm very sorry to tell you. Again... And I I just, I had a Bills guy reach out to me on Instagram. I, you know, maybe he's a listener. I, I, I promise you, I was not lying when I said Josh Allen is a good quarterback. He is. He's very good, very talented, unlimited upside. The fact of the matter is in 2019, he had a 64 overall grade and 2020, 89 overall grade. He went from subpar to elite in one year. The sky is the limit for Josh Allen. He is not the MVP this year. He has strung together way too many bad games. The week before that against the Jets, zero touchdowns. He didn't have a single touchdown against the Jets. Week before that against Kansas City, two touchdowns and a pick. The week before that against Tennessee, two touchdowns, two interceptions. I'm sorry, that's not good enough. It's not going to cut it, man. I'm not saying he doesn't belong in the conversation. If you want to add him into the conversation, fine. But the only reason he's in a conversation is because we need to pull out like five names and he's in that list. Of course he is. But again, the whole process is stupid because everybody saw Josh Allen do really well in prime time, and so everyone's going to talk MVP. That's ridiculous. How about the fact that Deshaun Watson deserves some credit? He has the exact same amount of touchdowns and three less interceptions. He's only had, let's see, uh, he has no bad games this year. He has four average games, and the worst game he's had all year is a 66.9. Deshaun Watson is an unbelievable quarterback that gets no credit because he plays for a garbage team. Deshaun Watson right now is the second-highest-graded quarterback in football. He's an unbelievable freak. 4,400 yards, 30 touchdowns, and six picks. He's gotten better every single year of his career. But we don't want to talk about that because there's nothing flashy and topical about it. Like, ooh, how about Deshaun Watson? Like, what about Deshaun Watson? The Texans suck. Right? That's where that conversation is going to go. And when you're in the media and you want to be all trendy, and, and listen, I get it because, you know, just thinking about YouTube, if I want a video to blow up, I, I got to like jump on a big thing that just happened, right? If I wanted to make a big video, I would have immediately after that Bills game come out with Josh Allen MVP, and it would have blown up. And they're in the same business, but don't be making MVP decisions based on that stupidity. And I'm not saying Deshaun Watson MVP; I'm saying Aaron Rodgers MVP. The point is, though, it's it's a it's a closed door. It's done. The competition is over. Aaron Rodgers is the guy. 44 touchdowns, five interceptions. It's, it's over. It's over. Almost half the year he's had elite grades in these games. He's had one of the highest-graded PFF grades for a quarterback ever in Week 13 against Philadelphia. And he just beat one of the other highest-graded games for a quarterback ever Week 1 against Minnesota. He broke that other record that he just set this year. I don't know if you can call a, a fourth-best a record, but it's it's up there. It was his second-best all-time game ever, and then he beat that. So now his second and third best. By the way, um, this is right now Aaron Rodgers' highest grade in a year ever. 94.5 overall. In 2014, he had a 93.4. 2011, 93.0. The only other 90 year was in 2010, 91.8. Had a bunch of other 80s and whatnot mixed in. 94.5. Good luck finding quarterbacks at a 94.5 season grade ever. Pat Mahomes has never had that. And look, I, it. It's not just PFF grades, because I haven't just listed PFF grades, but if we just used PFF to come up with an MVP, it would be a better system. It really would. It, it, as, as, as bad of an idea as that would be and as much controversy as that would cause, what's our system now and how is it better? Than having guys that graded every single snap of every single play of every single player coming up with the MVP. What's the better system? Media members going, I don't know, I think Josh Allen, it's really Cool. There's a popularity contest. I don't want Aaron Rodgers trying to win a popularity contest because he's probably not going to win because the media doesn't like him very much. Aaron Rodgers is the MVP, end of story. This has taken me way too... We we haven't even got past quarterback. We've got to move on. Next up is Mr. Devontae Adams. Um, I think Aaron Rodgers encapsulated it best yesterday or the day before or whatever in the press conference when he essentially said um, that Charles Woodson, he's always said, is consistently... He has consistently said this is the best player he's ever played with in terms of just being a a great athlete and a guy that can beat you in so many different ways, and he said it's time to put Devontae Adams in that conversation because he's just a different kind of person. Um, He is the number one wide receiver, almost identical to Aaron Rodgers. He's separated himself. I I don't even know if I mentioned it. Aaron Rodgers, like a 92-ish, or no, by about two points, he's ahead of the second highest grade. Devontae Adams, 92.3 overall grade. Justin Jefferson is the second-highest wide receiver at 90.3, so it's exactly two points he's got Justin Jefferson by. Not that Vikings fans need to be upset about that, the fact that Justin Jefferson, in his rookie year, is the second-highest graded wide receiver. I mean, just, they got an absolute stud um, in Justin Ironically, And this isn't necessarily a pat on my back because I was kind of iffy on Justin Jefferson, but I did say Justin Jefferson reminds me a lot of Devontae Adams when he was in college. The only thing that scared me is you never saw him going deep on any of these passes. So the biggest question for me was, can he run deep routes and catch balls doing that? If he can, he's going to be a freak. If he can't, then he's just a slot guy. Well, he answered that question pretty quick. Um, I think the biggest issue is the fact that the other wide receivers have basically completely fallen off Um, and it's not just a grade thing. I'm just thinking to myself, when was the last time we saw MVS or Lazard or anybody really just blow up? Lazard has not had a touchdown since Week 12. He's only had three on the season. He's had 100-yard game, and that was in Week 3. He does have a 71.7 overall grade. He's fine. He's a great player. But I'm, I'm not complaining. It's just right now we've got contributors. And I, was, I guess I was kind of hoping Lazard would be a little bit more than that, more than like a guy that that you see converting third downs and having like one or two big breakout games. Because right now that's that's kind of what it's reverted to. Um, if he cracks 50 yards, it's a big day, which he's only had over 50 yards once since, uh, since week three when he had the 146 yards. And that was 56 yards, no touchdowns against Carolina. So, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where, if you're in the we don't need a wide receiver camp, I get it because the offense is, is working great and the wide receivers do contribute. Um, but at the same time, you know th- there isn't that legit week to week threat outside of Devonte. So either way you want, if they get a wide re- if they get a wide receiver, cool. If they don't, you know whatever. I do think on some they're going to have to get a wide receiver at some point. It's a matter of how much emphasis. Is it first round, second round, third round? Is it fourth round, fifth round? I think sixth and seventh is basically saying we don't care. But, um, you know, then you look at MVS. I mean, it it really looked like he was going to be something special. Since week 12, he's caught a pass once. I mean, in one game. Detroit, six targets, six receptions, 85 yards, and a touchdown. And that's one of those, like, dude, he's, you know, and again, the recency bias kicks in. Like, oh, I knew it. Like, he's a freak. The week before that, one target, zero reception, zero yards, zero touchdowns. The week before that, zero target, zero receptions. The week after that, one target, zero receptions. Tennessee, zero target, zero reception. In in the last five games, he's had four games where he caught zero passes. That's pretty unacceptable. Also, he's got a 56 overall grade, which is consistent with what he's done for three years. So, I mean, he, he's he's good for a big blow-up game. Right? He had uh, the 85 yards and a touchdown. He had the 149 yards and a touchdown. He had 53 yards and two touchdowns. He had 96 yards and a touchdown. He's got several big games a year, and that's great. But, um, again, on a week-to-week basis, it's Devontae, and you know, then you're just hoping somebody else can kind of step up. Lazard, MVS, Tunyon, Aaron Jones, Dylan, Jamal, somebody. So, yeah. Um, I guess I'm sort of reverting back to we should be looking at wide receiver. I don't know if it's a massive number one issue, right? Number one uh, offense in football, it's hard to complain about wide receivers. But at the same time, if you break down the individuals, it's kind of still Devontae and nobody. They're just making it work. Tight end is one of those that um, there's not going to be a whole lot of agreement on. Um, Robert Tunyon is graded as the 23rd best tight end. That's uh, in a year when everybody thinks that he should have been a pro bowler, which statistically, obviously, he's having a good year. He is, where is he at, 11th in terms of yards and number two in terms of touchdowns behind Travis Kelsey. So everybody hones in on the touchdowns and says, see, he should be a pro bowler. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. He is 15th in yards per reception, 28th in yards after the catch per reception, 10th in terms of first downs, but, I mean he but he's he's the exact same he's not a real super consistent threat the, the biggest thing is the touchdowns right so he had for example weeks two three and four he had a touchdown and then there was a completely complete dry spell which again everybody just kind of shuts that part of their brain off week six seven eight nine ten no touchdowns but then he had 11 12 13 14 15 a touchdown every game and then nothing in this one so it's it's more consistent streaks at least in terms of touchdowns the yardage isn't all that fantastic. Um, three games over 50 yards no games of 100 yards so I mean I'm I'm not complaining I'm happy but I do think it's maybe slightly overblown because of the massive amount of touchdowns which when you play for the Packers you have a higher chance of getting a lot of touchdowns because Aaron Rodgers throws more touchdowns than anybody and they got to go somewhere and especially on a team in which there's not a lot of options outside of Devontae Devontae gets a ton of touchdowns every year always has because again Rodgers throws a billion touchdowns got to go somewhere after Devontae who's the guy well, right now, it's Tunyon. My point is, go out and get better talent, and it gets distributed somewhere else. But I like Tunyon. Uh, running backs, as of right now, if you look at running grades, Aaron Jones is the 13th best running back in football. He was actually given a 62.9 overall grade uh, in Sunday's game against Tennessee. So essentially, you know, obviously the yardage was great, but from their perspective, he didn't do enough with what he was given. That's what that comes down to. Whether or not that's the case, I don't know. That was their interpretation. The offensive line blocked really, really well. He should have done better with what he had. But again, still 13th. He actually would be a lot higher if he didn't have such low grades to start the season. Um, Basically, it has not been the greatest year for him in terms of a guy that's looking for a contract. Um, You know, too, I guess, inconsistent. Not just with the grades, but you're looking at you know 10 carries, 15 yards. 15 carries, 58 yards, 13 carries, 46 yards, 10 carries, 41 yards. I mean, that's that's basically all in a row. And again, looking at PFF grades, they're not blaming the offensive line for it. Um So, I mean, I, I love Aaron Jones, but the point is, unless he's going to relegate himself to a, a backup role and take that kind of money, the Packers aren't going to re-sign him. And uh, the fact of the matter is somebody's going to pay this guy a lot of money to go somewhere else, and I don't think the Packers are one of those teams. And so Aaron Jones would have to basically take charity. Unless other teams are looking at Jones saying he's not going to do it. Here. We don't have as good of an offensive line. He's already 26 years old. He's on the back half of his career. He's got several injuries. Um, he's having a down year already this year for his standards. I mean, it's 5.6 yards per, again, 1,000 yards, 5.6 yards per attempt. But if you really hyper analyze things, you know, he had 9.4 yards per attempt in this game, 7.3 against Carolina, 8.7 against Philadelphia, 9.3 against Detroit. But again, you're not looking at the 1.5 yards per carry uh, against Tampa Bay, 3.9 against San Francisco, 3.5 against Jacksonville. Right, again, it's it's streaky, really good game, really average game, even by his own standards. I mean, the the, the grades are basically on par with his rookie year, which is down from the last two years prior. So, I, you know, again, I think somebody's going to pay him. You know, we, we, we live in a world of privilege over here in Green Bay where we got you know guys like Jamal and A.J. Dillon, and, and we're looking at Aaron Jones saying, if you want to be a backup, you can stay. Other teams are really struggling saying, man, we just do not have a running back. And to be able to get an automatic boost from a guy like Aaron Jones, regardless of whether he's having a half a step backwards as far as his production, they don't care. The guy gets over five yards of carry every single season, they'll take him. As far as Mr. A.J. Dillon, and I've mentioned he's graded out really, really well all year. He just hasn't gotten a lot of opportunities. He is currently, as far as his running grade, the fifth highest graded runner in football. Um, Derrick Henry's number one. Dalvin Cook is number two. Damian Harris in New England is number three. Antonio Gibson in Washington is number four. A.J. Dillon is number five. One spot ahead of Gus Edwards. Um, The other interesting thing about that is if I come down here to their elusiveness ratings, and you look at guys with any amount of snap, in other words, get rid of the single digits, A.J. Dillon is number one. And this this formula, which sounds ridiculous, but if you can figure this out in your head, missed tackles forced divided by design run attempts plus receptions times yards after contact per attempt times 100. You got that? But the elusiveness rate, there's two players that are over 100. The third highest Uh, elusiveness grade in the NFL right now is Tony Pollard with an 89.4. Nick Chubb is a 118.4, which is obviously a massive jump. I mean, if you look at it, number 18 is a, you know, so 63, 64, 65, 65, 66, 68, 69, 69, 72. So it's it's like one to two point jumps here. 73, 74, 74, 78, 81, 86, 89, 118.4, right? Massive jump up to Nick Chubb. From Nick Chubb, you go from 118 to 138, which is A.J. Dillon. And the fact of the matter is he just runs through so many tackles. His amount of missed tackles forced is just through the roof. So Mr. A.J. Dillon, uh, in his one big game of the year, had an 82.8 overall grade. 5.9 yards per attempt, 124 yards on 21 carries. Which again, this is what this is what Matt LaFleur wants. A guy that we can get 20, 21, 24, 25, 28 carries in a game if need be. That's A.J. D- that's He's, he's 20, 250 pounds. He's built for that. Um, two touchdowns, as you know, he converted seven first downs. One of three carries was a first down. Another thing I love about A.J. Dillon is he's almost automatic on, on short yarded. Uh, Aaron Jones, we know, is not, largely because as, as slippery as he is, if there's nowhere to go, he doesn't push through anybody. A.J. Dillon is pretty much automatic and smashing through a guy for a yard. Two carries of over 10 yards, his longest being 30 yards. I'm sure you remember that one quite vividly. Yards after contact, 93. 93 of his 124 yards came after contact. yards per carry after contact. There are a lot of guys who would love to just get 4.43 yards, period, in a game, much less after contact. The biggest and and craziest stat here, which is not uh, unusual for him, nine avoided tackles in this game. Nine. He had four avoided tackles on five attempts in in Week (laughs) 2. So just, I guess, for some context, because I've never really looked at this either, what percentage of um, plays you avoid a tackle. Dalvin Cook is number one in the avoided tackle category. He has 68 avoided tackles on 312 attempts, which is a little less than 22%. So once every five-ish attempts, you have one avoided tackle. A.J. Dillon was at 43% in this game. Almost once every two carries, he's avoiding a tackle. On the season, 38%. He has 17 avoided tackles on 45 attempts. Now, it's still a small sample size, but he is absolutely blowing everybody in the NFL out of the water in terms of his ability to blow through people. Derrick Henry, the guy that we're hoping A.J. Dillon can be, 64 avoided tackles on 344 attempts. He's at 18.6%. It's not even close. And again, these are avoided. This isn't offense. Yeah, well, your offensive line is better. That has nothing to do with anything. We're 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 talking beyond the offensive line. We're talking about at the point of contact or tackler. Right? Yards after contact has nothing to do with offensive line. Avoided tackles have nothing to do with offensive line because it means there was a tackler there who didn't tackle him. This this is this is looking this is isolating the running back specifically. Avoided tackles and yards after contact and AJ Dillon still dominates. Again, still a small sample size, but what we've seen so far, this is a special special running back and again I still think he's still trying to figure stuff out I think he's still kind of a. you know even even Aaron Rodgers kind of talked about him in terms of you know as a young player sometimes you just kind of th- these are my words mixed in but you know you kind of close your eyes and, and run straight ahead and suddenly it's like hey I'm, I'm not on the ground and you're, you're kind of like shocked and you just keep running I think he had several of those you know I mean there's just a pile of people and it's like hey my feet are still moving let's keep going here beautiful beautiful thing um I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm as optimistic about A.J. Dillon as I've been about anybody, uh, more so than Savage and, and Rashawn and all these guys. Um, you know, I've been relatively high on A.J. Dillon. I wasn't during the draft process. Part of the problem, and I want to change it this year, is first of all, I was entire, I was very negative. I want to start trying to force myself to like prospects because the, the thing that happened is most of the guys that we drafted, I didn't like. I didn't like Jordan Love. I didn't like A.J. Dillon. I didn't like Kamal. Uh, I didn't like DeGuara, but when I re- once we drafted him and I forced myself to watch them a lot, first of all, the one game I watched of Jordan Love was his worst game ever. When I forced myself to watch a lot of games, I fell in love with the guy. A.J. Dillon, similar situation. When I when I realized, look, the guy has one of the worst offensive lines in football. He has nowhere to go ever. He's one of the highest-graded PFF running backs that entire year. I think he was tied for the highest grade of anybody in college football. Then you, you find those couple of, of breakout runs. When he actually has somewhere to go and look at the freight train barreling. When I forced myself to watch Deguara and, and the system that he was in and how similar it is to what Matt LaFleur runs, I became a massive Deguara fan. Kamal, I never came around to. <laughs> I am now. I, 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 I watched even more of him and I just I couldn't get into it. But the, the point is, once I sat down and really watched these guys, and again, that's what I want to do a little bit more of this year is, is force myself to try to find a way to like these guys so that I'm kind of hyped up about prospects as opposed to just sitting there going, I got, I got like three guys I like, the rest are all kind of trash. Because then we draft them and I, I end up hating every one of our draft picks and I don't really want that to be the, the thing. But um, I mean, it, it's just, it's really incredible, especially when you look at even the guys that broke out. Jair didn't do this. Jair had a couple flashes and you knew the potential was there and now it's here and it's like, oh man, we always knew it was there. I can't believe it finally came. This is great. Savage. As I said yesterday, he's the guy that I expected to break out this year. He's the guy I picked if I had to pick somebody, and he broke out, and that's great. But he was not elite in his rookie year. He was good, and I think we were satisfied, but it's one of those things, exact same as Jair, where he's good, and I'm glad that he was that good, but I really would like him to take another step so that he goes into the elite category as opposed to just being good. And it looks like he has. Rashan is still in the flashy state. It's still too inconsistent, and clearly a lot of upside. It's a question of can he take that step and become more consistent, not just on a game-to-game basis, but a snap-to-snap basis. Because the talent is unbelievably evident. When he's on, he's unbelievably elite. By the way, we're not getting past offense today. I'm almost out of time as it is. We'll have to do defense tomorrow. That's fine. I'm enjoying myself. Shoot, we gotta take a break. But anyways, Derrick Henry, excuse me, A.J. Dillon, Freudian slip. Derrick Henry 2.0. I was, I, basically the whole draft class, but, but DeGuara and A.J. And Dillon, have been on my mind since day one. And, and largely, it's because not only are they good prospects, they're great fits for Matt LaFleur. And I know Matt LaFleur really wants them and really needs them. And so I've just been waiting for those opportunities. And again, DeGuara got an opportunity right away, and I thought he looked great. And then he got hurt, and he was done for the year. Dylan comes out, he looks great, and flashes, and then he disappears, and it's like, just give me Dylan! And then finally it happens, and here you go. And it's just it's just been great pretty much every single time. Um, now, there have been some that aren't great. But again, when you have two carries, you got to figure... It's, it's, it's not that unlikely that your two carries don't go for anywhere and then you're done for the day, and it wasn't that great of a day. The question is, what can you do over the course of 20 carries? You're going to have two bad carries on 20 carries, but if you're a good running back, you're going to have a lot of great carries on 20 carries, and that's the point. If we give him more, I always believe that if we gave him a consistent shot, give him 15, 20 carries in a game, he's going to impress some people, and he did. We've we got to take a break here. I'm out of time already, so we're going to be way over time, but we'll take a break. We'll come right back and look at the rest of the offense. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. By the way, I should point out, um, A.J. Dillon was the second highest graded player on offense, um, last week. He did not have an elite grade, but it was up there. It was Devonte number one with an elite grade, A.J. Dillon 83, basically. As we move on now to the offensive line, uh, David Bakhtiari is currently the second highest overall tackle, but the number one pass-blocking tackle, um... Trent Williams of San Francisco has the number one spot because of his 92 overall run-blocking grade, um, but it's nothing to get upset about. Again, best pass blocker in football, David Bakhtiari, but also the fact that he has an 86.7 overall run-blocking grade is stupid. This is Listen, I talked about the Matt LaFleur effect. You want to know what the Matt LaFleur effect is? At the same time that David Bakhtiari is the number one pass blocker in football, let me just read to you his run-blocking grades since 2013. 61, 54, 60, 64, 68, 69, 65, 86. Can you find the one that doesn't belong? That's the Matt LaFleur effect. And, and look, we talked about it before, how um, Mike McCarthy didn't really drill this. I'm not saying he didn't have an offensive line coach and they didn't talk about technique and how to do things properly and all that kind of stuff, but there's only so many hours in a day. And I think not just for Mike McCarthy, but for a lot of coaches, if you can pass block well, that's fine. I'd like it if you run block better, but the most important thing is we make sure that you understand the fundamentals of pass blocking, that you're an elite pass blocker. And for a lot of offensive lines, you got half your line can't pass block. So yeah, we got to emphasize that. But Matt Lafleur says, no, you're gonna you're gonna learn how to run block the way that I want you to, and we're gonna do a really good job of it. And Bakhtiari's been a guy that's he's just lived on being the best pass blocker in football that didn't really do very well, and I didn't expect him to, and that's the one thing that worried me about him getting a contract, is if the guy can't do it as a run blocker, as stupid as it sounds being an elite pass blocker, it makes you wonder, how much does Matt LaFleur want to invest long-term in the guy? The fact that he's been one of the better run blockers in football at tackle, 100% locked this up. Um, Rick Wagner, the guy that we don't really talk about as much, um actually deserves probably a good amount of credit. First of all, the guy's played 562 snaps this year. He's played a lot, and we just don't talk about him. He's got a 77 overall pass blocking grade, a 70 overall run blocking grade. Um, So he's doing a good job. I mean, really, we we talked about, is he going to be the 2018 Detroit Lion Rick Wagner or the 2019 guy who had a really down year after an injury? Well, his grade in 2018 was a 75. His grade in 2019 was a 59. His grade this year is a 77. It's actually his best year since 2017 which is his first year with Detroit. This is his best run blocking year since 2014 with Baltimore. So uh, we we know Rick Wagner's down. We'll see what happens in terms of him coming back, but he's actually doing a really good job. He's not getting as much credit because there's a lot of hype and controversy over Billy Turner, and everyone loves Rick Wagner, and we're curious about uh, R- John Runyon and Corey Lindsley, if he's injured or playing, and obviously Bakhtiari's a freak. We don't even mention, we forget Rick Wagner's even on the team. He's on the team, and he's been quite good. Uh, Billy Turner, as you know, there's been, I guess you would say, controversy. However, he's definitely come on strong toward the end of the year, um, especially in regard to his pass blocking. If you look at weeks one through 12, he had um, four games in which he graded out as good or better. Three games where he got an average grade, two games where he got a really bad game. We're talking about pass blocking here. Since week 12, we're talking about starting in week 13, by the way, we're, we're talking also about when the roughly when the Packers started their reign of terror. His pass-blocking grades have been 82, 78, 77, and this past week an 87.1. Now, run-blocking, he hasn't had any bad days. It's definitely been up basically since week 11 against Indy. Um, I mean, there's there's a clear difference. I mean, it hasn't been a lot of elite grades, and I'm sure if you talk to Coach Hahn, he would absolutely storm the PFF offices and pick fights with everybody because he's in in love with Billy Turner recently. But even they would agree he's gotten a lot better since week 11. Um, he had one really good game against San Francisco as a run blocker. Otherwise, it's all 40s and 50s, which is pretty bad. Since then, he has had his lowest grade is a 58.3, which is basically 60. So according to them, he went from being bad to being average slash good. He had a good game against Indy and an elite run blocking grade against Carolina. So from their perspective, he's gotten quite a bit better as a pass blocker and run blocker in the second half of the year and that's fantastic he went from pretty bad grade to uh, he's up into the 70s now which is good it's actually his highest graded season ever um, not his best pass blocking year but it is basically tied with his best ever run blocking year and it is his best pass blocking year since his rookie year again with Miami and that shouldn't even count because that was uh 17 total snaps so we're just gonna disregard that and say this is pretty much by far his best year ever. His grades since coming into the league, 64, 55, 32, 41, 64, 63, 70.5, and climbing. Um, At the guard position overall for the year, Elton Jenkins is down at 22. It's another one I know a lot of people want to fight about. Um, I think Elton Jenkins is still kind of in that inconsistent territory. Again, obviously disputable, but from their perspective, He has really good games and really bad games. He also sometimes will flash as a pass blocker and not do very much as a run blocker or vice versa. Um, In terms of his run blocking, according to PFF, he's basically had three good games. As a pass blocker, they're looking at him saying it's just wildly inconsistent. So the first three weeks, great. 87, 84, 72. Then he has a 53 and a 44 against Atlanta and Tampa. 87, 65, 79, 76, 28, 86, 78, 65, 84, 47. So, you know, I I don't think anyone is complaining because the offensive line is doing a great job. I think he is also showing signs of improvement. I know his grades were a lot lower at one point. He has a 75.7 overall pass-blocking grade. Um, His run-blocking is above average now, which is great. Lucas Patrick, obviously not nearly as high Um, He's actually the opposite category. He started off real hot and has been kind of trending downward since then. But again, he's filled in and he's been somewhat adequate with the exception of being sometimes the sole reason that the offense is sputtering. And then you come to the center position and it is Corey Lindsley and nobody. Um, I had mentioned how you can basically find replacement centers anywhere. That's not the case with Corey Lindsley and I think we may be in we need to pay him territory. Um, The second highest graded center in football right now is frank ragnow with the detroit lions at 80.6 Corey lindsley is a 90.3 he's blowing everybody out of the water he is the fourth highest graded pass blocker he is the number one run blocker in football look at for example cody whitehair who's the number two run blocking center he has a 44 overall pass blocking grade Corey lindsley is an absolute freak he may be what you would consider a necessity for a team that really wants to protect their quarterback and to be able to run the ball really really well I just, I'm, I think I'm in full-blown. We gotta pay Corey mode. I don't know what it's gonna cost. I know centers don't cost all that much in comparison. I mean, if you're talking number one center or whatever, I just think we gotta pay him, man. I don't know what what that means in terms of, of guys leaving or whatever, but um, we gotta find a way because I, I, I don't see how. I mean that 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 to me is a failure, right? I've talked about how you, you, the main thing you want to do you draft guys. You draft well, you end up getting premier talent, and then you pay them to stay. And if you can't do that, you've, you've failed somewhere along the line. I know things are a little bit unusual. We paid a lot more free agents than we have in the past, as well as COVID has caused some problems that the Packers weren't expecting. But it is it is a financial failure to let a guy like Corey Lindsley leave. And I think they need to find a way to make that happen. A J. Uh, Aaron Jones, no. Jamal, not really necessarily. I mean, if, if you said, would you get rid of Jamal and Aaron Jones to be able to keep Corey Lindsley? Yes. And Kevin King, you'd get rid of? Yes. I'd get rid of Tunyon. Corey has to stay, period. I mean, he is the David Bakhtiari of centers. And and probably even more so, again, when you factor in how massively better he is than everybody. He's in another universe. Still has only given up two pressures on the season because he gave up zero once again against Tennessee. I mean, if we look at guys that have got, um, let's say, similar Pass blocking reps. I'm worried my computer is going to crash, so we got to end this. I just got a warning pop up. Oh man, never saved a podcast before finishing before. I've never, do- I've never done that. And just watching that countdown was like, please make it. So we're saved. But anyways, if we look at guys with similar reps or whatever, at least 600 snaps. Corey Lindsay has 688. We're looking at J.C. Treader has given up six pressures. He does have a hundred more pass blocking reps. So let's knock that down to five. I mean, it, it's just, it's not close. Six pressures and four penalties. Corey Lindsley, by the way, zero penalties on the season and two pressures. Just, just, it's just stupid. And it's, I mean, I, I don't really think it's, it's a fluke either. I mean, that's the thing. Is he just having a good year now because it's, you know, a contract year and he's going to regress? I i see no reason really to believe that. Again, it's, it's year two of Matt LaFleur. His run blocking has gone up through the roof. I don't think that's an accident. I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, there's a massive spike in his pass blocking, but really it's not that big of a spike. It's the exact same grade it was in 2018. So that's where I'm at right now. Um, this team is is out of control. Best offensive line in football. They've got PFF has their pass blocking efficiency rankings. Three teams they have in the 90s. Green Bay is a 91.6 number one team in football. They have allowed nine sacks. Three teams have only allowed eight. The crazy thing is the amount of hits. (laughs) Sounds weird, but um, Green Bay has allowed only six hits on the quarterback, which is less than their amount of sacks, which is very unusual. Arizona is number two with ten. and They've also given up the fourth least amount of hurries, so 82 pressures on the season. Cleveland actually does have less, and I've mentioned how elite Cleveland's uh, offensive line is. They are unbelievably good. Uh, they've only allowed 80 pressures, so two less pressures, but 14 sacks compared to nine is is the big difference here. Anyways, that's it. I gotta get going. Again, we'll talk about the defense uh, tomorrow. Did not expect this really to take quite so long. My Aaron Rodgers rant was like 20 minutes, so at least it took us to 20 minutes. One one cool note. I'm just for some reason I have my phone in my hand and I just went to Twitter. I don't know why that happened. I never know. But from Tom Silverstein, um, Silverstein, whatever. He says, Lafleur said the staff already has started to discuss ways they can use the combination of Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, and A.J. Dillon. The important part of this quote, he says, it's important you don't overdo it. You can come up with some cool stuff, but if your guys can't do it, you're wasting your time. This is, this is the epitome of everything I've said in terms of the upside and potential of this team. I want forever those kinds of quotes. Why? Because it means there's still another level we can get to. There's another level of complexity of awesome things. The, the thing that's holding it back is the player's ability to execute it. And these things come over time. And if you think there isn't that with with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae and Lazard and MVS, which really goes to show why it may be important to get another wide receiver, or even a tight end for that matter, because it's possible. There's a whole other portion of the playbook that Matt LaFleur's is looking at saying, we can't do you know chapters 10 through 12 of my playbook. I'm making up the chapter part, but you get what I'm saying. It's an analogy. Leave me alone. I don't think it is an analogy. Whatever it is, because our wide receivers can't do A, B, and C. There's still a whole bunch of things that Matt LaFleur has in terms of things he'd love to draw up. And, And it's the same thing I said about Mike Pettin. It's possible maybe it was the players holding him back. Maybe the reason he's doing just dime defense all the time is because he's scared to unleash certain people. He's scared to do this, that, or the other because he just doesn't have guys that can do their job. Maybe the the increase in production and trust he has in the linebackers now has changed things up. The safety play, Jair being a true lockdown that he can put on a guy and just erase him. These are factors that change a defensive coordinator's position on what he can do and what he can't do. These factors maybe have, have caused him to say, now we can unload the second portion of my master plan. So the reason I love quotes like that isn't just, The fact that they're trying to draw up stuff to use A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones, and Jamal Williams, not necessarily on the field at the same time, although it's possible. It's the fact that they still have another gear. They probably have several gears. It's just the fact that these guys don't quite understand and can't quite execute to a level that he feels confident breaking these things out, and I love that. Because there's just, there's more coming. So, anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.